0: launch scale and ultimately exit successful group practices in short we create clarity confidence and results well welcome everybody to yet another episode of the group practice accelerator podcast one that we're calling the top 10 questions around associate equity partnerships this will be a lengthy one so we're probably going to cut it into two episodes And to help me out today, once again, I'm bringing our Partnership Pathways consultant, Mr. Mark Plock, behind the microphone with me. Get your pad and pen ready. You know it'll be a note-taking episode and brew another wonderful cup of that meal of coffee. The Group Practice Accelerator podcast is on the air. Welcome, everybody, once again to the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. I am your host, Perrin Desports, and as I tease in the introduction, I'm going to be joined once again by Mark Flock behind the microphones today. Y'all loved him so much on the prior episode, begged for us to bring him back. He didn't have anything else going on today, so I just grabbed a bunch of his time and said, hey, let's record another episode. It'll be the top 10 questions that he and I get most often around associate equity. Mark, thanks again for joining me on the show today. Good to have you back. It's great to be back, Perrin. We're on a hot streak here, man. I think it's like two for the last two episodes or something like that at least. But in any event, I know this won't be the last one as well because we're probably gonna have to break this episode into two, we're gonna get so deep into some of these questions that we typically get. And if they're questions that you and I get most often, you know that they are questions that a lot of the audience has around the concept of associate equity. These can be complicated models, they can be complicated structures there's a lot of rhyme and reason behind all of this kind of stuff. So let's maybe dig into the first handful of questions together. And I'm going to start with the biggie because most of the time we are dealing with uh, founders of businesses, a, a founder specifically, one founder. Occasionally, two 50-50 partners, but most of the time it's a, a single founder and he or she owns 100% of the business. They have 100% voting control and they can do 100% of whatever they want, whenever they want. And when you start bringing in uh, minority partners, regardless of what level or how much, things take on a, a different dynamic. So when we think about Somebody uh, having a hundred percent ownership of the business, and then going to some level less than that, the the fear, the anxiety around control comes up quite often. So, Mark, you know, when we think about how much of, of their business should a founder end up uh, owning to maintain control, how do we kind of talk through that with the founder before we get anywhere close to talking about anything with the associate?
1: Yeah, that's a great, great point, Parent, and and it really comes down to the operating agreement, which once if you if you listen to our, one of our previous podcasts, going through the timelines of, of associate equity, that's an important piece of it, um, and it really comes down to you know supermajority control uh, within the business, and and typically that's somewhere between seventy to eighty percent, but that's spelled out in the operating agreement um, that that's signed by all current partners and and future partnerships down the road, so. That's what that's what's important, and that's kind of what we're looking for is is building out something that keeps the the founding partner or partners um, in majority uh, supermajority control, and not just majority control, uh, because there's a couple different things that happen when it comes to that, and that's what we'll work through with you and um, having that conversation before we start to build everything out to ensure you're okay with the numbers and expectations, because there could always be something different uh, as a one-off that you may have outside of that.
0: Yep, very well said. So, I think the key thing for people in the audience to understand is that you know, when you own when you are the only owner of your business and you own 100% of everything, you tend to think of aspects of control in a binary standpoint. You know, when you have 100% control, you control everything. If you have 99% control, you don't control anything. And that's not the case. It, Mark mentioned the operating agreement. This is w- defining ma- supermajority control uh, is is one of the things we go through leading that process with the client and with the legal counsel to determine what the thresholds of supermajority are. And we don't want there to be any um, uh, requirements around a unanimous voting provision for for some type of decision making. Normally, you see that around you know the sale of the business requiring unanimous approval, which you never want to have that because it creates a, what's known as a poison pill in the operating agreement. So, what is supermajority control? How is it defined? What are the thresholds? that's the legal construct. And then the equity construct, whatever the model may be, we're trying to project five to 10 years out to ensure that the founder still has the threshold to make that supermajority decision and that the associates can't hold them up even if they vote all against it. So I think that's the the first key uh, is understanding uh, what supermajority is, how it's defined and how the model plays out accordingly. So. That's from the the what I'll call the founder standpoint. Um, you know, the associates are different. <laughs> um, they have different opinions. They have um different desires. they have different expectations. um they have uh, you know different preconceived notions around what partnership is all about. Um and this is an this is a question that we get. Uh, quite often that we could probably spend several podcasts recording answers to, but let's take it, you know, from uh, the associate standpoint. What are we trying to solve uh, from their standpoint, from their point of view, Mark? What what's the the primary drivers around the associates' concerns?
1: Yeah, and it's I think you kind of hit it a little bit. It's it's having a say. Uh, it's having a, a some piece you know, in the mix, or I'd say a chess piece in the mix, to some some point. And you got to keep in mind, we typically advocate for these these earned equity models to have uh, you know voting rights as well as uh, potentially distribution rights. Uh, but that's a choice, you know, that we ha- we have made that can be spelled out in the legal constructs, uh, as far as everything being being created, and it's not one size fits all. It's what are you trying to achieve? But I feel like if an associate has voting rights, there's a say in the business, and and a, and a lot of associates or even uh, doctors nowadays, you know, th- that's big for them. It, it might be worth taking a little less pay to for a job, but to have a say on where the the, the the business is going, even though it might only be a four percent you know voting rate right, you know at the end of the day. So I, I think that's important um, because a lot of people feel valued when when their when their uh, opinions matter uh, to some degree. But keep in mind at the end of the day, if if you're maintaining supermajority decision uh, control over the business, it, it, it's you're in control of the business. But you you need to value their say at the end of the day because it's important and they may provide a different opinion that could truly help the business grow. Um, and a lot of times with these associate equity models that we build out, it, it might only equate to 3 5, you know, 6 7% at the end of 10 years. But what's more important is is the the dollar impact that is at the end of 10 years. And, and that's where I think a lot of associates get wrapped up with wanting to own their own business and have all the responsibility and it's 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 a, it can make them a lot more money, but it can also create a lot more stress <laughs> for that individual. Whereas if you can create that same or similar economic out output of, may say, a million dollars at the end of ten years, that could that that's pretty substantial uh, for an associate to to be able to have a, a net worth you know of equity in the business around a million dollars and not having to to put any money into it, not have to go down the journey by themselves. And work against you, you know, six miles down the road, uh, type of thing. So it, it's we're trying to create that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow for them, and, and that's truly what this delivers if if rolled out correctly.
0: Yeah, very well said, Mark. I, I think you know when solving for the associate desires, mindset, etc. There, this is a, a question we get that kind of has two answers, you know, or there's two is. It's two sides of the same coin, and I think the there's one answer that's the economic outcome that you mentioned secondarily there, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, and then the the other answer is the the rights and privilege piece, the 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 voting, the belonging. There's uh, like a, a place at the table, a say in the decision making. There's that piece of it, right? And and I think you know when we when we start kind of going down this path. Uh, with associates um, they they have a lot of preconceived notions that are usually grounded in um, associate partnership structures the way the, bi- the 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 way the business of dentistry used to be 20 to 30 years ago and when i say that i mean traditional partnerships right so for all of our audience on this podcast everybody either has a group practice or most are building a a group practice those businesses value very highly all right and and so one of the first challenges is the associate has some economic level of outcome that usually has a percentage tied to it right so they're they're sort of thinking about dollars but they're really thinking about percentages hey I want to be a a 50, 50 partner. That's what partnership means to me. Or I want to own 25% of the business. That's what partnership means to me. And they don't understand that, okay, if you want to be a 25% partner, that probably means you've got to take on a loan for two and a half million dollars. You know, all, all of a sudden that's a, that's a deal killer. For, for them now and for you, because the founders built a very valuable business. The associate doesn't understand what that valuation context is, and the bank is probably going to crush their hopes and dreams around borrowing that much money. Hey, it's Perrin. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the podcast. If you'd like to learn more in depth about partnerships and associates, be sure to download our white paper called Creating Sustainable Success in attracting and retaining associates. And if you wanna learn more granular detail about buy-in and earn-in structures, as well as the legal aspects required to facilitate all of it, you should join us in Scottsdale on October 11th through 13th for our Scaling from Clinician to CEO Summit, because there'll be three different presentations dealing with all of that. And you'll have access to some incredibly bright minds over those three days. I'll drop a link in the show note for both the white paper and the registration for the conference to make it easy on you. Now, back to the show. So how do we create outcomes that may not be you know, from a percentage standpoint, what they want, but from an economic value standpoint, they certainly can be. Sometimes a hybrid uh, of a buy-in and an earn-in over a 10-year period to get them to that seven-figure outcome is is what they're looking for. So this is really an educational process um, that needs to be grounded in more reality for the associates to, to ensure that they're their expectations are not irrational i would say the second piece that that you mentioned first i'm kind of going in reverse order here is is around that i call it the seat at the table the belonging the the voice type piece of it that's it's really more around decision making and and where you know having a participatory role in the business going forward and and that can certainly be irrespective of Uh, percentage, and sometimes irrespective of voting rights. Uh, Occasionally, people will structure these uh, outcomes for the associate not to have distribution and or not to have voting rights. There's pluses and minuses to all of that, obviously. But I think if if you as the founder are going to build a more valuable business and certainly a business that's going to be growing a lot in the future, I would think that you would want all of the input, be it vote or otherwise, from your associates to, to be participatory in uh, the right strategy that unfolds over a period of time, and I think that ha- that's you know in some ways defined as corporate governance and voting, but in others uh, it's just more typical going along to get along and bringing people through the process uh, in terms of the role that you're asking them to, pay, to play. And I think both of those from an economic. Um, and uh, a participatory standpoint are, are critically important to to building a more successful business that continues to execute on the growth potential of it, for sure. So, Mark, uh, that being said, let's transition back to the um, ownership aspect of things. And for our founders, uh, I'll say that some of their accountants allow them to take a lot of uh, liberties with the business that they own because they own it outright um, and they have a lot of perks or, or uh, owner benefit um, that they derive from owning the business, You know, employing family members, um, tickets to the pro sports teams. You know, uh, tra- meals and travel, obviously, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, a lot of those owners that take a lot of liberties of the business and and run a lot of personal expenses through the business. Now you're going to have uh, associates that are minority partners, but they're going to have um usually they'll have some access to financials beyond a, a an ownership threshold level, uh, and you know we want to we want to clean up some of that. So. What's the when a when a when an associate comes in and says, "Well, I want to run my car through the business just the way the the owner does." What's sort of the the rhyme and reason behind all of that, and how do we kind of um, steer them clear of some of those aspects?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Perrin, Because I mean, now they're a partner in the business. They they kind of want the same perks that that you all have today, uh, rightfully so as a partner in the business. So. But at the same time, you know, if you're a 95% owner and and they're a 5% owner, it's not fair to you if you're writing off a fifty thousand dollar car, um, uh, you know, as a business expense, and they have a fifty thousand dollar car, they also want to write off as a business expense. It's not fair to you. And. And if they want to do different things than than what you do, and vice versa, whether whether it's you know family helping out within the the practice on payroll, you know paying for insurances, four hundred and one k things like that, it, there's a lot of different things that can be written off between your CPA and you know used for tax purposes um, that are legitimate. So, what what we typically recommend is working with you know both CPA and attorney. And coming up with a, a structure where it makes sense. A lot of times, what I see is each creating your own LLCs that that you would own hundred percent of, uh, potentially, and then that would own your interest in the you know the parent company or DSO or 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 uh, uh, top level entity that owns the practices or practice. At the end of the day, that way each of you can. Can essentially write off whatever you need to personally within your own individual LLCs without affecting the business or the other partner or partners for that matter. So that's something that you'd always want to consult with an attorney, make sure you have the right entity, make sure you have the right structure. We would work with them in in doing so. Um, But that's usually the easiest way to do that if it makes sense based on your entity type. Because like I said, there's a lot of factors that go into that, whether you can do that and what type of entity and things like that. So you'll just want to consider that uh, to make sure it's equitable for all parties, not just one or the other.
0: Yeah, very very well said. I think there are a couple of different ways to um, address that. Uh, call it owner benefit um, because what we don't want to have happen is for the, uh, the founder, the current owner, uh, to want to run his or her car payment through the business and if the car payment is $30,000. $30,000. And now the associate owns 1% and the founder owns 99%. And the 1% associate says, well, I want to run my $30,000 car through the, the business. You know, there This is not an area to to, to fight with one another over. We want to build a, a more valuable business, more profitable business, um, and business that's really um, built for the long haul, whether you want to exit it or not, it's a different conversation. But the owner benefit piece, there, there are ways to handle that at a, at a personal LLC level or on an allocation type of a level. And that's really something that, um, uh, you know, we, we talk a lot about legal structure and legal documents, operating agreement, and everything like that. This is a conversation that probably tilts more toward this, the CPA involvement uh, of the business to make sure that that's structured correctly so that we're not uh, adversely impacting the um, uh, EBITDA volume of the business and suppressing valuation in any way, um, but that we also keep all the the parties happy and involved with it through the whole process. So there are ways to, to handle that. um, And, and, you know, that's not an uncommon occurrence for uh, a lot of the clients we work with. So fifth question for today, and, and we may wrap it up, wrap up this episode after this one, but, you know, people that are building group practices, have practice level entities uh, and they typically do end up um, implementing a management company or dso Uh, some that's sometimes that's very formalized for non-clinical ownership and has management services agreements and other times when it's all doctor owned it's a little bit looser but depending on what the 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 ultimate objectives of the client are there, there could be uh, some differing level uh, entities, and you can have different levels of ownership at a practice level or at a management company level. How do we think through, you know, creating the right outcomes uh, for the client relative to different equity structures? With that, Mark,
1: that's a great
0: question, Parent, and
1: not to give the answer, it depends, uh, but it truly de- <laughs> it, it truly depends on on what you're trying to achieve. Um, where you want them to achieve, achieve results, whether it's at a practice level, uh, or it's at a, a group level. Um, and, and like I said typically with restrictive stock units or or you know, RSUs or RMUs, um, it, it's usually at the the DSO or the hold Co or the parent level, like you said. Um, and, and there's and that's usually a smaller piece of the pie for the associate. Um, dilution is a little bit slower with respect to the overall entity for for you as the founder. Uh, but that's where the majority of the equity resides at the end of the day. The the, the big benefit too that, that some people don't even realize is that if you have equity at the parent company, a lot of times those partners are driven to the, to the success of the parent company at the end of the day, whether it's at location A, where it's location B, or location C. So, you have individuals pushing for the overall growth and have a vested interest in doing so. Um, there's also plenty of reasons to having equity reside at the practice level um, where they might have a bigger piece of the pie, but it's a smaller pie you know at, at the end of the day so and, and there's there's pros and cons of both, but it, it really just depends on what you're looking to build, why why and where you want them to have equity because we can create it. At at either level, it, it just depends. Uh, at the end of the day, and more times than not, it's at the pract- or at the gr- uh, the group level. But it, it like I said, it just depends.
0: Yeah, there are a lot of different ramifications on on this one, both around the type of business you have, uh, the growth strategy that you have, de novo versus acquisition. Uh, ultimately, what you're trying to achieve, uh, you know do you have an exit in mind or is it cash flow type of a business um you know and and a, a handful of other things so it's sort of the right tool in the toolbox is the answer and and you you've listened to the podcast very well mark to say it depends i give that answer <laughs> ad nauseum when i'm on the stage and and everywhere else so uh but but you are right and this is one of those uh sort of consultative types of the process where we're trying to to ask the client a number of questions that lead us to what is the best answer um because you know all the answers uh, all of the above could be right but we got to usually pick one structure and and hopefully stick with it so that is that is super helpful uh and yet again something uh that we spend time with early on in the process with the uh with the client um let's put a bow on today's session right now Mark because I think we have a lot of other questions or a lot of other answers we're going to share around uh, partnership pathways on our next episode. But this this one has given uh, probably our audience enough of uh, things to think about and potentially a headache up to this point. But suffice to say, you and I are are pros. We do this all the time and and are very comfortable and confident um, working through any of these questions and a lot of others with our clients. So once again, I appreciate you being on the show with me today. Look forward to having you on the next episode for part two of the top 10 questions we get around associate equity. Thanks for joining me today, Mark. Thank you. I'll be back. <laughs> Famous <laughs> last words, right? So, and thanks to everyone else for, uh, for being in the audience today. Stick around, I'll be right back with some additional thoughts and to wrap up the show. welcome back to the show and sincere thanks once again to Mark flock for joining me on the podcast today. He is a wealth of information and a really valuable asset to our team and I think you're starting to glean why he is such an asset to our team and um, sometimes these uh, top 10 questions that we get um, along these journeys are, are very illustrative and, and informative so um, I, I hope you got a lot of that a lot out of that episode. And certainly enjoyed hearing from Mark. We'll have him back uh, on another installment on this top ten. But suffice to say, uh, he'll be on more upcoming episodes into the future as well. Before we wrap up today's show, I wanna uh, I wanna follow up on an announcement I made a week ago um, about. Uh, a a new six-week course that we're launching called the Catalyst Project, uh, the six-week multi-practice accelerator. Uh, And I'm excited about this. And judging from the response I got from that um, uh, podcast a a week ago, I think this may have hit uh, a mark that many of you were looking for. And that's rewarding in some way to me that, you know, I'm I'm starting to glean the insights of what your real needs are. And I I think I said at the end of that podcast that I was excited about um, scratching a creative itch and, and applying something new in a different way than we had ever done it before. So for those that didn't hear the episode from last week, the nuts and bolts are that after speaking at so many conferences and and trading emails with so many of you and and some phone calls as well, there are a lot of you that are on the early stages of of building your group. Where you know maybe some of the services we offer, y'all you you will want to access at some point in the future. But you would really like a way to work with us in a more maybe limited capacity at an earlier stage that would have more tactical application uh, and we really don't have a ton of services uh, for that. So the idea was that we might be able to create something that would meet you where your needs are at this uh, early stage of an emerging group. And so The Catalyst project, a six-week multi-practice accelerator, is going to be a a six-week course with two sessions per week. Uh, One's going to be on a concept or a tool that's uh, readily applicable. And the second session in the week is going to be a group discussion oriented around that particular tool or the application of it. I'm gonna teach all of them personally, and we're gonna do it live over Zoom for both of those sessions each week. So no travel required, super convenient from the, your home or uh, uh, or office, but these will be live sessions. So, so hopefully the intent is for them to be highly interactive and very participatory. We'll record all of them if you have to miss one, uh, so you won't miss anything. You can go back and watch it, or even if you're in it and you wanna go back and watch it, you can. Um, I am almost toward the end of building out most of the tools on this. So it's a lot of new stuff. And and again, the the desire is to be able to apply it quickly. Um, Judging from the responses that I got from the podcast last week and the emails I've received over the course of the last week, I think this is going to be a pretty popular offering. And depending on when you're listening to this, the course may have already sold out. If it if it does continue to direct message me, I can send you the link for more information to get more details on, on what the catalyst project is and and the application and everything like that. And if there's enough demand, I may try to create a second, uh, course offering on this. I, I hadn't thought that far ahead. Um, but, You know, if you're interested, direct message me and we'll figure something out for you. Uh, This is really going to be a course offering that's designed to teach you what you need to know to do. So that failure isn't an option. I want it to be heavily uh, applicable and tactical. And I think that's what is exciting to, to so many people. So if you want more details and the link to the course offering, uh, send me an email directly. My email address is Perrin at Polaris Healthcare Partners.com, P E R R I N at Polaris Healthcare Partners.com. Like I say, the initial course is gonna be limited to 20 people to keep it highly interactive. But if there's more demand beyond that, um, I'll come up with a plan B. Um, So if you're, like I say, if you're interested in learning more about it, getting details, uh, I can provide you the link to the course um, and you can just send me an email at. Karen at PolarisHealthCarePartners.com. Thanks so much for your interest in in all all of the stuff that we do, the podcast, and certainly this new offering. I'm excited about it uh, and getting to spend a little bit more time with many of you personally. I think it's going to be a, a great thing. Thanks for being a listener and a subscriber. We'll see you on the next episode.